0: Uh, what a wonderful selection of songs this morning, so thankful for the intentionality of the songs that we chose to sing this day, uh, warmed my soul and affections for Christ this morning uh, in singing how marvelous is the Savior's love for me and to sing that um, and, and sense that and feel that of God's goodness to me in Christ and that's why Christ is always such a fitting theme for us this semester and this year to always reflect back to it's Christ who is all for Dr. Baker's reading uh, to take us back to all things are from him and through him and to him. Uh, we, don't, we don't say that as just a throwaway phrase. We don't sing songs here uh, just for the sake of singing them. It all points us back to our Savior and the great treasure and joy and life that he brings us. So thankful for that. We want to do welcome the uh, Monday at Masters students. It's a joy to have you with us this morning. And you may not have checked yet, but I think there is a... Uh, a golden ticket for free tuition under one of those seats, so if you, if you want to reach under there and find that now, um, I believe that was part of what Madison and the admissions team were going to do today, so good luck with that. Um, we're going to look this morning at Psalm 103 if you want to turn there, and we want to turn our attention to blessing God this morning. <coughs> with all that has transpired in the last week, it can be easy for our minds Uh, to be elsewhere when it comes time to to worship God in a corporate setting. Just as simply as it can be hard to get our minds to be focused and think about God individually in your own devotional time. I don't think there's much of a difference there, whether it's your own personal devotion and reflection or whether it's the corporate gathering of the body to sing and celebrate who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. We can be distracted, and part of that distraction comes perhaps in, in us not stopping to really reflect on what goodness God has given us in Christ, and so in the last week, lots going on uh, with the election that maybe our minds are elsewhere, or just this time in the semester as you're thinking about Thanksgiving's coming, Uh, not not to be an open rebuke to CJ, but he just glanced right over Thanksgiving for Christmas, he was just so pumped to tell us about, hey, Christmas is coming, just Thanksgiving just gets forgotten, it's just, it's tragic to me. Uh, November 5th, Starbucks rolls out the Christmas cups, where's the Thanksgiving cups? I don't know, maybe that's just me, but I want to give Thanksgiving its due, and one of the things I like about Thanksgiving is that, at least in my family's tradition, that's the time, the holiday, that just in in a general sense, before the meal and around that meal that day, we do talk about what we're thankful for, not to say we can't do that at Christmas, but sometimes Christmas, rightly so, the focus is on Christ, and so when we talk about what we're thankful for around Christmas time, it's Christ and the Advent. Whereas Thanksgiving, we can broaden that out and and maybe look and reflect on all the good ways uh, God has been good to us in Christ. And so I hope this morning as we look at Psalm 103 helps you to maybe prepare for that time with your family as you're about to head home next week and enjoy Thanksgiving, is to have a meditation this morning, uh, sort of a group devotional on the ways in which God has been good to us. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts to do them. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you who serve Him doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. May God bless the preaching and hearing of His Word this morning. It's not uncommon today if you're on social media to see the hashtag blessed. I guess I don't have to say anymore. It's, it's effective, right, in itself. But you know, just to, just to show maybe the confusion over what it means to be blessed or to thank God for His blessings, I just took a quick look at Twitter this morning, I mean, just about 10 minutes ago, just to see what people are hashtag blessed for today. And the first one that came up from, I, I Kaizja is the name, Kaizja. And she says, I just found $4. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> but right after her, Yaz at Yasmin with a couple E's, Marie with a couple more E's. I guess there's multiple Yasmin Maries with uh, just one E, so she has to extend it, but she says, in all caps, your girl got an A on her calc exam, hashtag blessed. <laughs> and you're feeling that today. Found four bucks, got an A on calc, and of story. Let's go to Thanksgiving. I mean, you are cruising into break with four bucks and an A on your calc exam. I don't know what this next one is, but it's wake up, Wake up to a new monster factory, hashtag blessed. Um, Whatever. (laughs) Jerichius Davis next says, thanking the man above for another day. We'll end on that one. That's ending on a good note. Uh, Hashtag blessed. And so when I think about that, it could be confusing maybe then to think about what does it really mean to be blessed by God? And in bless saying I'm blessed, it's maybe saying somewhat about what you see about God. What is it that you thank him for? If you're going to say hashtag blessed, it's going to say something about you, what you really see as the blessings from God, and, and I think Psalm three directs us to something bigger than $4 and an A on a calc exam, not to say all things aren't from him and through him and to him, but for maybe the person this morning that is struggling to find reasons to bless and praise God, he's made us to do that. We are called to bless God because we are made to praise God. Those work together. We as His creatures who are created to be His worshipers are created to praise Him. But it's hard to praise God, to worship Him, if we're not first blessing God, recognizing His goodness to us. So I want to ask you this morning as we look into Psalm 103, what are you praising God for today? Or has the well run dry in your praise because... You haven't recently stopped to think about blessing God for His goodness to you. And when we look at this passage to start out in the first two verses, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. You see something immediate, which is He's talking to His own soul. He's not blessing God yet. He will eventually call all of creation to bless God. This psalm psalm 103 works kind of as is in a chiasm where it starts with blessing god and it ends with blessing god and it reaches the high point in the middle of saying why should all people at all times be blessing god those who are his children because of his love towards them we sang of that this morning but he has to get there and so in starting out he's just talking to his own soul there's no one else in the room it's sort of a divine soliloquy You have Hamlet on stage with the skull saying to be or not to be. That is the question. Will you have David here for whatever place he is in life, whatever's going on in his life, stopping and trying to find a reason, trying to conjure up praise in his life, and he starts on the path of saying, soul, recognize what God has done for you. And we see within these first two verses as he calls his soul to praise that we learn a few things about maybe reasons we don't want to. First, Is not blessing God, first and foremost, what we would hope just to be a desire of our heart? I mean, that we wouldn't have to call our soul to do it. We would hope that we naturally want to do it. But if you're like me, I don't always wake up feeling blessed. I should, but I don't. And I think at at the most basic level, that's just a problem of my desires. Before it's anything else, for me not to stop and reflect upon God's goodness to me and then praise Him is first and foremost a problem of my desires. I'm lazy, and it takes work. I'm tired, and it takes effort. I'm angry, and it would take submission. I'm prideful, and it would take humility. I'm distracted, and it would take focus. I'm busy, and it would take priority. I'm apathetic, and it would take zeal. Or maybe the bottom line of my lack of blessing God is I'm sinning and it would take repentance. Whatever reason it might be for any of us today that we don't wake up with the idea of blessing the Lord, oh my soul. It could be any of those reasons. And yet we learn from the psalmist that that's no excuse for not blessing God. In fact, he moves from just calling his own soul to bless the Lord moving to the element of intentionality. Maybe a reason that we don't bless God as much is because we don't prioritize looking at our lives and saying, is God worthy of praise right now? Is Christ all in my life? As we bring that back to focus each time we gather here. When we say that Christ is all, what we are saying about Him first starts with what we we are seeing about Him. If we see that Christ is all in our lives, if we really can, like in Romans 11, say, all things are from Him and through Him and to Him, Then we can say that, but if we first don't see it, if we don't take time and we're not intentional about our praise, and look at the intentionality here, he says, and all that is within me in verse 1, and forget not all of his benefits, verse 2. To rightly praise God takes all of who we are to recognize all of who he is. Spurgeon said it this way, God's all cannot be praised with less than our all. If we're lazy about thinking about all that God has done for us, it may be a pretty short list in blessing God. But if we step back and say, soul, what are all the ways in which He's benefited you? And not just on God's side of the ledger, but actually looking on my own side, and it's saying all that's within me, all that's within my soul, loving Him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, am I thinking about my relationship to God through Christ and all those dimensions that would cause me to bless God? So maybe it's that I'm not thinking intentionally enough. Maybe it's that my desire isn't there. Maybe it's just that it's work to remember. Anybody else here suffer from short-term memory loss? I mean, it's hard for me to praise my wife as she is due when I don't remember the things she's done for me. It's just that simple. In my self-centeredness, Adam's world, It's going to be hard for me to step back and say, oh, Shannon, I'm so thankful for you. And I I praise God for you when I'm just constantly looking at what she's doing for me in a self-centered way, not stepping back and saying, look what she's doing for me in a Shannon-centered way. Praising God for the way in which he has been good to me with my wife. So it could be a problem of work and remembering. It could be a problem of desire. It could be a problem of intentionality. But I think it's, it's good for us to stop and think about The heart behind our worship and really say are we just doing it going through the motions coming in here to sing Joining a small group and talking about how our our week has been in christ without actually stopping to say am I truly Individually thankful for what god has done for me And maybe if that's you this morning, maybe if it has been difficult This psalm will help guide us through and show us a way to bless god today. So let's start In verse 3. We're going to look at what God has done for David and learn from it, how he moves his own soul towards praising God for all he is and all he's done, not just for David, but we'll see also in 6 to 18, he's thankful for what God has done for all his children. And then you'll see in the close from 19 to 22, why all of creation should praise God. So let's start and just look at the individual ways God has worked in David's life that we can learn from and talk to our own soul when we don't feel praises on our lips. He starts with, verse 3, who pardons all your iniquities. And this is the place we all start, isn't it? I mean, before moving to any other benefit to talk about any other blessing in our life, our most fundamental problem as creatures of a Creator is that we have a severed relationship with our Creator. That we are all hell-bound sinners from the start, and He is a holy God, and that's an infinite chasm that cannot be traversed without help outside of ourselves. And so the first blessing that David sees to praise God for is to praise Him that God has pardoned all his iniquities. I mean, think about this this morning. Just a little thought experiment. When you think about pardoned iniquity, and that word pardon is to basically say you go from guilty to not guilty. When you think about man's relationship to God and your relationship to God, personalize it. Just think for a moment. If you had to come up with a way outside of God's pardon of you, outside of Christ, how your sins could be forgiven, how your transgressions could be removed, what what would you come up with? What other way could God pardon us if you had to come up with it on your own? I mean, really think about that. You as a creature and a creator who you've offended with your sin, and he's perfectly holy and has a right to banish us all to hell forever. What could we do to make up for our sins? Well, you could, I was thinking about this. You go down a few different tracks. I could think about maybe I could do enough to make him happy with me. I, I would know, I would recognize I'm a sinner and I need to be in the right with God, and so maybe I could do enough things to get myself out of his displeasure into his pleasure, which would take me down the path to moralism. Maybe I could do enough good things to outweigh the bad. But the problem with that is, if you think about it, even if from this day forward, I could do everything possible within my powers to do what the Bible says and live rightly, what would I do for all the sin that's unaccounted for in my past? I couldn't right all those wrongs against God. They would still be there on my ledger. All the good I could try to do, maybe I could think maybe... Each good thing I would do would cancel out a bad thing, but then I would have to think back over the last 36 years of my life. What are all the sins I've committed? That's a lot. And the ones I've forgotten about. The ones I didn't even know about. Sins of commission, sins of omission. What could I do to pardon myself for my iniquity? Well, moralism's out. I can never undo what I've already done. Well, maybe I could relativize it. Maybe I could say, well, if God has been good to some other people besides me and I look at their life close enough, I could compare and say, yeah, I don't think I'm as bad as them. So maybe he would accept me then. Because if he accepts them, look at that filthy sinner. Surely I can do better than that person. Well, now we're just into relativism. Or maybe I could twist it around and put God on the dock. Maybe I could think about God and say, you know what, God? You're the one that created me this way. So it's your fault. Inherently, I'm probably a pretty good guy. I I like people when they don't like me. I'm benevolent. I give. But what do you do, God? And then I'm getting into humanism. Inherently, I'm a pretty good person. It's God that has the problem. Or maybe I just discount this language altogether. If it was up to me to pardon my own iniquity, maybe I just question the idea of pardon and of iniquity. What is it to be a sinner? What does that even mean? Why would God have to pardon? That makes Him like a judge. Isn't He love? and then maybe I just go down the path of postmodernism to even question the words themselves. But think about it this morning. If you had to come up with another plan besides God pardoning your iniquity, what could you come up with? Or as Job asks in chapter 9, verse 2, how can a man be right before God? He didn't have an answer for that. And he had done a lot of good. You know what he asks later in that chapter in verse 33? If only there was an umpire between God and I, if only there was some mediator between God and I, only somebody that I could go to to have a hearing with God, and, and that's what we need when God pardons our iniquity. We need a mediator, we need someone to step in to have our guilt be removed and go to not guilty. Go left in your Bible to Psalm 32. And just quickly look at Psalm 32 and see the joy that comes in David's life when he knows his sin has been forgiven. When he knows his iniquity has been pardoned. This is not just at the level of justification as in, oh, I'm just glad that God has said from guilty to not guilty. There is also an internal joy. There is also something in David's soul that rejoices just to know he's in the right with God. Listen to David in Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Jump forward just a few verses to verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a gift guilt is to us from God. I mean, David's not complaining about being guilty here. He doesn't like being guilty, but he also sees that he is. He recognizes it, and he responds accordingly. God forgives me. I don't feel guilty anymore. So back to Psalm 103, when David starts down the path of remembering all the benefits to God, he does not move forward past pardoned iniquity because that's the blessing from which all other blessings truly flow. Look at the progression after saying, God, thank you for pardoning my iniquity. He moves into, who heals all your diseases? Now, truthfully, he could be speaking on a physical level. God is our great healer. Back when I was in Hickory, I was uh, friends with a few people in our church. A couple of them were doctors. One time I was having a discussion with a surgeon, and he was talking to me about what he does and what he loves about his job, and the thing he loved most about his job was the opportunity he had to be a gospel witness. And he said after he would perform a surgery on somebody in post-op, a couple weeks later, they would come back very thankful and grateful to him and say, Doc, thanks for healing me. And so he would just say no. I mean, graciously, but he would say, I need to deflect that. All I did was the surgery. God did the healing. And so on a physical level, we can say God is the one who is our great healer, but we also know that ultimately all of us will meet the grave. All of us will be stricken with any number of diseases, no matter how long we get to live. So for God to heal all of our diseases, I would think, like some commentators say, that he's going down the path of what it means to be sick spiritually. We get pardoned iniquity, now we're in the right before God, and now in the process of sanctification, he actually starts to go to work on our soul sickness. Because when it comes to sin, are we not sick through and through? Is it not sickness of the mind that we have evil thoughts? Is it not sickness of the heart that we have evil desires? Sickness of the soul? That we want to use our members to commit sin and then when you become a Christian, suddenly God starts to change in your life all the ways in which you once wanted to sin with your mind and your heart and your soul that led to your actions and using your hands and feet and mouth and eyes to sin. God starts to heal that. And He makes us new. Augustine wrote, when God heals the sickness of fallen man, He heals him for good. That's the great hope of our sanctification, that He doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't just pronounce us not guilty in the court of His law, but then leave us down here with no help. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in us. Christ is in us. So we set our minds on things above, not on things below, so we can fight sin and become more like our Savior. He progresses from healing our diseases to verse 4, another aspect of this is who redeems your life from the pit? Now God, or David moves in his reflection on God's goodness to him, his benefits not just to say, I've been forgiven and I'm growing in sanctification. He's healing all those sin sicknesses of mine. He says he's redeemed my life from the pit. Now again in David's life, we could probably point to times where that was true even on a physical level. David was in hiding in a cave, whether it was from King Saul or from his son Absalom. So yeah, Many a times David probably faced his own end or destruction. But when we think of this on a soul level, because he's talking to his soul, he sees that his life has been pulled from heading for hell, Sheol, and heading towards eternal life in God. And he rejoices in that. And I think about that when I reflect on this in my life. Who redeems your life from the pit? I can't get over the word pit because I'm from Pittsburgh, And I know what it's like to be redeemed now from Pittsburgh. It's the pits there. I mean, it is. O. Henry called it a low-downedish hole when he wrote about it. I mean, this was back in like the mid-1900s when it was filthy there. Guys coming out of the steel mills covered in soot. Grandfathers both worked in the mills. So Pittsburgh to me is kind of like a pit. So I could say this on a literal level. Adam, you could have been in Pittsburgh. Now you're at Master's University. You're in Southern California. It's always sunny here. You put a sweater on because it's cold. You're sweating up here preaching because it gets hot. And it's like mid-November. Hashtag grumbling a little bit. But yeah, hashtag blessed. I've been redeemed my life from the pit. But not just on that physical level. I look at my life and I look at people I knew growing up. Not with my nose down at them. But going to a public school, I look at friends. When I get, go back, and I see them again, and I see where their life is at apart from Christ. And it doesn't make me put my nose down towards them, or, you know, I just look and I'm thankful that that could have been me. Some of my friends, late 30s, divorced multiple times, kids out of wedlock, losing a job, been in jail, guys I went to high school with, played football with. And I think, what, what would I be apart from your grace, God? My, my life's been redeemed from the pit. And it's not just because, oh, you know, I mean, I get to be in ministry and I get to do this, I love this. But just on a general level, God has been so good to me. Can you reflect in your life where you would be right now without Jesus? Think about it. Think about that friend you have whose life is without Jesus right now. And yeah, it may be disappointing to see the path they're going on, but sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that could be us. And that's why we bring the hope of Jesus to them. Because we know that apart from the grace of God, we wouldn't be any different than anybody else. We show grace to the person that's been gone astray. And we love the sinner that we hate the sin because we know what it's like to have our lives redeemed from the pit. But it's not just to get out of the negative. You see, these first three reflections of God's benefits to David, they kind of just get him out of the negative. He was playing from behind. God pardoned his iniquities, healed his sicknesses, redeemed his life from the pit. But now he goes into the positive in the next phrase. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Now we get into the positive. We just don't come out cost neutral with God. All the things that He removes from us, the guilt of our sin, the sickness of our soul, a life that could be lost, now we go into the positive infinitely in Christ. All the blessings that we could have are in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who what? has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. That's a present promise from God to us. And how do we get access to that? Christ. And what do we get from that? What David says right here. We get crowned with God's loving kindness and compassion. You know, that word loving kindness is repeated throughout this psalm. And, and what it evokes in David's time was a word that had to do with a covenant that you, two parties would make. One is a greater, one's a lesser. And, and the greater in entering that covenant with the lesser promises to never go back on his side of it. But see, this word covenant isn't just about covenant, it's about loyal love in a covenant. That this king that would make a covenant with this peasant would not just be saying, okay, you know what, I'm gonna make a deal with you and I'll never break it. There's an element of love to it. And that's why this word loving kindness is so precious in the scriptures, even though we've kind of lost it today. We don't usually walk around talking about loving kindness. But back in David's time, it would have made sense that there was an element of love Between these parties, and that greater to the lesser says, It's not just that I've made this deal with you, I love you. And so he adds compassion to that. And and he is saying here, God has crowned me with his steadfast, loyal love. He's not going back on his end of the deal. And is not that true for any Christian in here today? Because he doesn't go back on his end of the deal because of his son. He loves us so much. We could sing of the marvelous love of God this morning because we know of how much he's loved us in Christ. It's not just that we're innocent now. We're not guilty. It's that He loves us like He loves His Son. What a gift. And then He ends in verse 5 with this, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. He moves to the general in verse 5. After getting specific all the way down to saying, look, now you are loved like a son. He says, who satisfies your years with good things. Just saying, look, overall you can look back on your life and say every good and perfect gift you have is from God the Father. James 1.17, the Father of lights with whom there's no shifting or changing. That is a believer, we can look at God and say, He withholds no good thing from His child, only that which would be to our detriment. We may, like, you know, in our immaturity, think there's some good things God is holding back from us. But He's all wise. He knows what we need. He doesn't just give us what we want. You know, I understand that right now because I got toddlers and, and they exist on the level of what they want. They want this, they want that. But I, as a dad, I'm given the you know, responsibility to decide is that want something he actually needs or is it going to be to his detriment? And, and God deals with us the same. He loves us and he knows all the things that we might want aren't all the things that we really need. And the most valuable thing we have needed and will always need is what we see already in, in this psalm. Pardon, healing, redemption, crowning. And those things, when we see them rightly, when all of our mind and heart and soul see our salvation rightly, then we could say he satisfies our years with good things because we see it in focus. We're not seeing it through the lens the way the world sees blessings. We're saying, what truly has God given me that I can't get from anywhere else? And It's salvation. And then all the blessings that flow out of that. And what's the end result? Verse 5, your youth is renewed like the eagle. David goes with an image here of the most majestic animal of his time, the eagle. Eight foot wingspan, flying at speeds of 40 miles an hour, cruising over top of a storm. I mean, he, he just looks at the eagle and says, that eagle that just seems to never tire, never grow weary, how does it do it? That's kind of like what God does for me. He renews me. He fills me. He leads me to this place where I feel that strength again. He satisfies me with good. Spurgeon wrote, no man is ever filled to satisfaction but a believer, and only God can even satisfy him. And if you're not in Christ this morning, when you see what's offered here, pardoning, healing, redeeming, crowning with love and compassion, in ultimate satisfaction, satisfaction, what would hold you back from giving your life to Christ? From trusting in Him today? Not looking to your own work. Not trying to figure it out on your own. Not putting yourself up against somebody else and saying, I'm not so bad of a person. Not holding on to that last vestige of sin that you really want badly that you think God can't deliver on. He could not only deliver on any satisfaction you have, but far more esteemingly and abundantly. If you're not in Christ today, you start with pardoned iniquity. Any other blessing that you might think is out there, that's what's sometimes sad and tragic to me about looking at what people call blessings on social media, because it's so far from what the true blessing of being in Christ offers. And this morning, if you don't know Christ, it's offered to you. It's very simple right here pardoned iniquity. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Imagine feeling that weight removed from your shoulders. You no longer have to try to make yourself good before God because He's done that for you in Christ. Trust in Christ this morning. And if you have trusted in Christ today, if you are a believer, you read this and maybe, hopefully, the Holy Spirit has used this text to warm your affections to God and saying, you know, maybe I was looking around for some other things that I'm dissatisfied in life and I need to be reminded that God has given me every spiritual blessing I need in Christ already. And not just me. Looking at 6 to 18, without going deep into it this morning, I would just say this. David's attention turns from his own life to the life of all of God's people. Look quickly at 6 to 18. I'll give you a summary of it. Verse 6 is a pivot point. He says, after reflecting on his own life, you know, the Lord performs righteous... He didn't say, you know, I added that. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. There's this turning point in David's soul, saying it's not just you, soul, but God is performing righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed, His children. And then in verse 7, he thinks about Moses and Israel. His attention turns to the people of God historically, and says, you know, God, you haven't just done this for me. You've done this for your people from the beginning. And how I know this is the verse he quotes in 7 and 8. He made, or The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. What is he quoting there? He's quoting when God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34. You don't have to go there, but I'll read for you. Now, this is coming off of Perhaps the lowest moment thus far in the existence of God's people. Exodus 20, they get the law. They're told, Have no other gods before me, make no false idols. And then what do they do? While Moses is getting the law, 40 days away, they make a false idol and start worshiping it. I mean, talk about the. I mean, it only took 40 days for them to fail there. And God says, Moses, go back down and see what they've done. And God's anger is burning. And so Moses goes before God and says, look, none of the people think you're for us anymore. Exodus 33, 16. How then can it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the earth? What Moses is asking there is saying, look, we don't know if you still like us anymore. And God had a right not to at that point for what they just did. But God was going to reveal something about His character to remind His people of His end of the deal. And so we get that in Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now flip back to Psalm 103. He quotes that same verse, but then he expands on it. Because David knew, like we might feel, that sometimes as his child, that when we sin he might stay angry with us forever. That we may have sinned just that one last time and he's over us. He's done with us. And we may think that way. I think that way because I operate that way. It's very easy for me to write someone off. That 70 times 7 forgiveness doesn't come as easy as maybe the scripture suggests it comes. I struggle with forgiving others, and so therefore, when I expect God to still forgive me, there's a little bit of works righteousness that wants to come in and think like, you know God, if I just try harder next time, then you could really be pleased with me. But look back in Psalm 103, 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now notice he says, nor will he keep his anger forever, meaning he can get angry. As Hebrew 12 shows us, he's a good father who disciplines us, chastises us, Keeps us away from that sin. But He doesn't do it forever. So the promise of eternal life that we have in Christ gives us the hope that yes, He may be dealing with us in a way that a father disciplines his son or daughter. But yet we know that what? Verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities ultimately. Because when Scripture says the soul that sins shall die, well, I I know that Even as a follower of Christ, when I still sin, I'm not immediately removed from this place. And I don't lose my salvation. Because the promise that He doesn't deal with me according to my sins or according to my iniquities. Why? Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. And He goes on to explain how can God do that? Because verse 12, He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. They never touch. In Christ, that sin that He pardoned, That forgiveness that I was given, it's removed as far as the east is from the west. And it's just, again, not judicially, as a judge would say, not guilty, but he loves me like a father, verse 13. He has compassion on me, those who fear him. And this is sweet in verse 14 through 16. David is reminded that he, like every other child of God, we understand our own frailty because God understands us. Look! He says he knows our frame, he's mindful we're dust, we're like grass that perishes. We in our own transitory nature, we're here and we're gone. And it may make us suspicious that can God continue to love us despite that? Well, verse 17, the loving kindness of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. He loves us through and through. Those who fear him, those who keep his covenant, verse 18. So what does this lead David to do? He's reflected on what God has done for him, what God has done for all his children, and it leaves him then to say, God, you deserve praise from all your creation. That's 19 to 22. He calls all his angels, all his hosts, all works of his and all places of his dominion to bless the Lord. You know, it's fitting that we'll get to sing a few more songs this morning because in reflecting upon God's goodness to us, his benefits to us in the gospel, should evoke in us this desire to not just keep that joy we have in our salvation to ourselves, but to want to express it around other people. Lewis wrote, I think we delight delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes our enjoyment. Did you catch that? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses our enjoyment but completes it. Is that not true on just the most basic human level? It's one thing to enjoy something, but it goes to its completion when we look around with other people and say, isn't that awesome too? I was here Friday night, saw Reed Shackelford drop 51 points, 10 threes in one game. Yeah, make it out to one of these games. I mean, they're playing basketball, the whole team. And know, I'm sitting there, and it's one thing to just sit there and be like, oh, that was impressive. Oh, wow, yeah. What a shot. He made another one. I think he's up to nine, ten. But you know what? When his grandfather was sitting two seats down from me cheering him on, and, and there was a row of his cousins, because like, they're all related here. There's just a block of these people related, like Steads and Shackelfords, and I mean just a whole cheering section of them alone. And then I'm looking across to the students that are here, and you know what increased my enjoyment of the moment? That other people are enjoying it with me. And that's where corporate praise comes in. Because it's not for us just to enjoy God individually. It's to look at the people around us and say, isn't God wonderful for this salvation? Can you join with me in expressing that joy in God together with one voice? That's going to be eternity. All of us, not just individually, but corporately thanking God for doing the same thing for all of us. I don't know what we all have in common here, but when I exchange a testimony with you, that's the starting point. What's God done for you in Christ? That's it. I may have zero in common with you after that, but when we can corporately sing and praise God for his goodness to us in salvation, it is a fitting end to looking at this psalm and saying, yes, he's been good to me, and if you're in Christ, he's been good to all of us. So with that, I'll pray and invite the band back up to sing, and let's express our joy together because the proper culmination, the appointed consummation of our individual thankfulness to God and joy we have in Him is to celebrate it corporately. So please bow with me as I pray and the band will come back up to lead us in a few more songs. Father, we're thankful for what you've done for us in Christ to to stop and meditate upon that you really have given us every blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Anything that we truly need, you have already provided for us in Christ. There are many things in this room that if we wrote them down that we wanted might go unfulfilled because of our expectations of what we would want from you. But as your children, no matter our age and maturity here, no matter how long we've been in Christ, we all come to you thinking, here's what I want, God. But you as a wise, loving father respond to us with, that's not necessarily what you need right now. What we all need right now is to stop and think upon your greatness and your glory, your loving kindness, your faithfulness, and to then, as we've been filled with your Spirit, to express that in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to sing with one another in praise and start our week rightly, looking at you and celebrating what you've done for us. So may our souls be encouraged to sing this morning the praises that only you deserve. It's in Christ's name we pray.